We are in Matthew 13 one last time this week, looking at this central chapter of parables and some of the core features of the kingdom of God that these parables were told to illuminate. The kingdom is here. It is a treasure. It is hidden. It is not going to be universally welcomed. Join in. And there's one last question about the kingdom that Jesus responds to with these parables, one that we saw John the Baptist, the one who baptized Jesus himself, asking a couple chapters ago. In chapter 11, John is in prison. And he sends some of his disciples to ask Jesus, so are you the Messiah or what? John was having doubts, probably at least in part because he was sitting in prison, a prisoner of the very false king John expects the Messiah to overthrow. But more broadly than just his own personal interest, John is wondering, are you really the Messiah? Because the Messiah is supposed to put everything right. And, well, things still seem pretty wrong. Jesus' response is, well, I am putting things right. Just maybe not the way you were expecting. But this question Don has is similar to the question many people even today have about the existence of God and whether this God can be trusted. If God is so good, then why is there so much bad all around me? Wouldn't a good and all-powerful God have fixed all this by now? I think this question is, in part, what's behind the parable that we're going to look at today from Matthew 13, starting in verse 24. He put before them another parable. The kingdom of heaven may be compared to someone who sowed good seed in his field. But while everybody was asleep, an enemy came and sowed weeds among the wheat and then went away. So when the plants came up and bore grain, then the weeds appeared as well. And the servants of the householder came and said to him, Master, did you not sow good seed in your field? Where then did these weeds come from? He answered, An enemy has done this. The servant said to him, Then do you want us to go and gather them? But he replied, No. For in gathering the weeds, you would uproot the wheat along with them. Let both of them grow together until the harvest. And at harvest time, I will tell the reapers, collect the weeds first and bind them in bundles to be burned, but gather the wheat into my barn. And then after a couple other short parables in verse 36 and following, we read this. Then Jesus left the crowds and went into the house and his disciples approached him saying, explain to us the parable of the weeds of the field. He answered, The one who sows the good seed is the son of man. The field is the world, and the good seed are the children of the kingdom. The weeds are the children of the evil one, and the enemy who sowed them is the devil. The harvest is the end of the age, and the reapers are angels. Just as the weeds are collected and burned up with fire, so will it be at the end of the age. The son of man will send his angels, and they will collect out of his kingdom all causes of sin and all evildoers, and they will throw them into the furnace of fire where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Then the righteous will shine like the sun in the kingdom of their father. Let anyone with ears listen. God sowed good seed. The kingdom is here. The crop is growing, but there are weeds amongst the wheat. They might look similar, but there is no crop coming from them. The servants in this story are ready to pull the weeds, but the farmer, God, is concerned about uprooting the good along with the bad, and so the bad remains. Why are bad things around in the kingdom? because it's not time yet. One true answer to the question of why bad things happen, if there is a good God, one that is there in this parable, is the one many of us will have heard before. Sin. Bad things happen because of sin. Now, for some bad things, this sounds kind of like a non sequitur. Sin causes hurricanes. Sin caused coronavirus. Sin causes cancer. And what I'm going to say today is, yes, sort of, (laughs) if we understand sin correctly. 
I think this parable does, in fact, answer the question, why do bad things happen? And that there are two parts to it. First, because sin. And second, because God has more important goals in mind than simply not having bad stuff happen. That isn't God's highest aim in how God interacts with the world. So we're going to unpack those two things today. And to do that, I'm going to try and explain as clearly as I can my own theological thinking on these issues. This is not the only way of thinking about these things, but it's the one that makes the most sense to me of what the Bible has to say about our world and humans' place in the world on the one hand, and then our own experience of the world on the other. Trying to put those together, this is kind of where I've landed. So if you don't agree at the end of all this, that's okay. (laughs) There are plenty of Christians who think about these things in very different ways than what I'm about to spell out. But with that said, let's dive in. So what do we mean when we say that sin is in some sense the reason bad things happen? To see this, we need to go back to the original plan that God lays out for humanity in Genesis. The stories in the first chapters of the Bible tell us that one, God made a good world, and two, God created humans to be in the image of God, which means as God's representatives, God's partners in caring for that good world. That's the plan. Genesis does not say, contrary to what many Christians think, it does not say God created a perfect world. It is good, not perfect, but it's incomplete. God did not create humans to just sit around twiddling their thumbs and enjoying all the perfection. God created humans to do the work of continuing what God had started, of working right alongside God to bring the good world to completion or perfection. Genesis 1.28 contains God's commands to humans, his first commands, that they are supposed to fill the earth and subdue it. What on earth would that mean in a world that was perfect? Subdue what? Genesis tells us that creation was an unfinished work, waiting for the creative, good, justice-filled working of humans who represent their creative, good, justice-filled God. That's the plan. Real responsibility, real agency. And this brings us to our understanding of the word sin. Sin is not doing bad things. It's much bigger than that. Sin is walking away from God and God's purposes for humanity. The story of Adam and Eve is a story of humanity's sin because it is a story of humanity walking away from the God-given vocation of caring for and ruling over creation, walking away from God's plan. The work that God had intended for us to do and to continue doing, the work of partnering with God to continue bringing a good but imperfect creation to completion. God gave humans real responsibility, in other words, not pretend responsibility. When Genesis says we are to rule over creation, it's not some ceremonial position. It's real work that really matters and that has incalculable consequences for all of creation when we don't rule well, and we haven't. This is what Paul means about creation groaning and awaiting God putting things back on track. Creation falls into disrepair like a neglected house when humans don't fulfill their responsibilities. God also gave humans real agency, not pretend agency. We can actually choose to walk away, and we have. And so bad things happen because of sin means both sins of commission and sins of omission. You may or may not be familiar with that terminology. 
But sins of commission are when we do bad things. These are the easier bad things to explain with sin. And they explain a lot of the bad stuff that happens in the world. One person doing something bad to another. Or people setting up unjust systems and structures that have terrible consequences down the road. That sort of thing. But sin also includes omission, not doing things that we should. And in this instance, I mean particularly not doing the job that we were given by God to do in the beginning. I don't think we can overestimate the bad things that happen in this world because we walked away from our vocation to partner with God to subdue the earth and rule over it well. Let's take the example that's closest at hand here for all of us. Why did the coronavirus pandemic happen? Well, we don't know for sure all the details, but many scientists have theorized that it most likely first spread to humans through some aspect of the illegal wildlife trade. In other words, through humans' oppressive, sinful relationship with nature, a sin resulting directly from our having walked away from our God-given vocation. We rule over the earth badly, and sometimes disease is one of the effects of that. But there's another answer to the question, why did this pandemic happen? It's the, why did this pandemic happen, not why did the disease exist? And that is that we have set up unjust and inequitable systems that put people at risk. The best evidence at this point for why the occurrence of severe illness and death among minority communities is so much higher than it is among white communities, in the United States especially, it's a combination of minorities being overrepresented in the low-wage hourly work that is also most likely to expose people to the virus, and the legacy of environmental injustice that has disproportionately exposed minority communities to pollution, which weakens the lungs and creates the very underlying conditions that make a person most vulnerable to this disease. Either way, sin. When we understand what the Bible means by sin correctly. Does sin cause hurricanes? Well, there is good evidence that human industrialization has resulted in climate change that increases the severity of storms. Again, the sin of an oppressive relationship with nature rather than the good, wise work God intended. But I also wonder, and this is more speculative, I also wonder what advances we might have made if our God-given creativity had remained partnered fully with the God who created in the first place. What solutions might we have come up with to, for example, minimize the effects of hurricanes when they do come so that they don't have the same destructive force that they bring today? I think the inspiration of the Holy Spirit would only have furthered our scientific efforts, while also making us wiser about how to use science for good purposes rather than destructive ones. And so I wonder more broadly how much of the suffering we endure today wasn't inevitable, but was preventable if we hadn't walked away from God in the first place, if we had remained partnered in the creative work of completing this good creation, if we hadn't, in other words, sinned. Bad things happen because God planted us with actual responsibility and actual agency, and then, like the farmer, waited for the crop to grow. And so the question is, what is God supposed to do now that we have walked away? Burn it all down with fire and start over? Take back the agency that God granted to humans and do the job without us? I don't think either of those solutions fit with the character of a God who keeps promises like we see in the Bible. I, in other words, I don't think those are actual options for our God. And so we wait. 
with wheat and weeds growing together. Because God has bigger things in mind than just preventing bad things from happening. God could pull the weeds and destroy the wheat, but God chooses not to. Instead, God invites us through Jesus to join back in with our vocation. This is God's bigger vision. And it's actually the same plan that went wrong in the beginning. Parables are pictures, but they aren't perfect analogies. There's always a little bit of a disconnect from reality because what Jesus is inviting us to do is basically something impossible. Jesus is inviting us, in effect, to turn from weeds into wheat. This is what repent and believe means in the gospel, that we have the opportunity to rejoin the vocation that we were always supposed to have to bring the kingdom of God on earth, to partner with God in our own sphere of existence, to bring the goodness and justice and life of God into that sphere. Our job is not to fix everything, but to listen to what God is calling us to do where we are, what responsibility God has given us, and then to use our agency, our creativity, aligned with God's spirit to bring God's goodness and justice there. I think that's the first response we might have to this parable. And the second response is to trust that just because evil still exists, doesn't mean the kingdom isn't real. Because while the farmer says to hold off on pulling the weeds because he has bigger plans in mind, he isn't going to wait forever. Evil will not have the last word. And Jesus is both explaining in this parable why bad things keep happening and is reaffirming that God will do something about it. That the day will come when wrongs will be put right and evil will be recognized for what it is. Sometimes we need to respond in that first way, to listen for God's call to partner with God in bringing goodness and justice to the world around us. Other times, we need to respond in that second way, to see the evil in the world, the evil that happens to us, the evil sometimes inside of us, and know that God sees it too, that God grieves with us too about the state of the field. God doesn't like looking at a field full of weeds any more than we do. But God invites us to wait patiently for the kingdom to come in all its fullness and to trust God's wisdom in leaving the weeds there so as to not pull up the wheat. I think both of these responses require listening and that listening to God is something we practice and get better at with practice. And that's how we closed our time together this past Sunday is we practiced listening. First, thinking about which of those two responses was the one that uh, we both most need to engage with right now, whether it's to roll up our sleeves and get ready to do something to partner with God in our little sphere of existence to bring God's kingdom there, or if we're in a spot where the, the weight of the brokenness of the world is weighing heavily on us and we need some time to vent and grieve and listen. And so we took a few minutes to think about which of those or if both are true of us, um, which response that we should engage with. And then we spent a few more minutes after that listening to what God would say. And so I would encourage you to do the same. Do your best to listen for what God might be saying to you. As I said, this takes practice. So you might not hear anything. That's okay. You might just get a sense or a feeling. Um, And if you find your mind wandering, as it will, most likely, that's okay too. I heard a story from a friend of mine once that a person who was trying to listen to God came to a more experienced listener to God and said, my mind wanders away a thousand times. And the more experienced listener said, how wonderful. 
a thousand opportunities to return to God. I like that perspective on listening. And so if you're ready to partner with God in your sphere of life and want to listen to what God is calling you to do, then I invite you to take some time now to open yourself up. Maybe physically hold your hands open as a sign of that openness and use the words that we find in 1 Samuel when young Samuel was learning to listen to what God was calling him to. Speak, Lord, your servant is listening. Take some time and use those words to return to your listening each time your mind wanders, saying, speak, Lord, your servant is listening. Or if the brokenness of the world is weighing on you, I'd invite you first to tell God about that. Tell God what is heavy in as strong a words as you want. There are some pretty strong words in the Psalms after all. And then ask for what you need from God, whether it's God's presence, God's comfort, God's peace, and then listen and wait for God to meet you there. Take some time now to practice listening to what God might be saying to you today.